Welcome to the Everyday Innovator Podcast for product managers, leaders, and innovators. Your host is Chad McAllister, helping you become a product master. Listen and get ready for higher performance, for the doctor is in. Hi, this is Chad. I want you to register for the Everyday Innovator Summit, a free online three-day summit between 24 experts organized into two tracks, one for product managers and another for product VPs and leaders. I've been planning this summit since last year, and I'm so delighted to have the top people, really the top people in their field, contributing content. I want you to register because I know how much it's going to help you focus your product management career. We need that right now. Equipping you to compete at a new level. And I'm not the only one asking you to register. Product Management Today, Industry, AIPMM, PDMA, International Association of Innovation Professionals, Quartz Open Framework, and Product Management Talk are all promoting it, along with several other product management bloggers that you might have seen some of that already. Register for free. Do it now. It's at theeverydayinnovator.com slash summit. You only have a few days left as the online summit is April 8th through 10th. Register now. This is entirely online, no travel, nothing to worry about. Now let's get on to what this episode is about. Listeners have heard me share the purpose of this podcast many times. This is where product leaders and managers make their move to product masters, learning practical knowledge that leads to more influence and confidence so you'll create products customers love. Our guest is going to help us with the influence part. As we must build and use influence to be effective, right? We don't have real authority. What we say really matters. And Daniel Stillman will tell us how to design conversations that matter. He's an industrial designer turned conversation designer. I really enjoyed our discussion, and I hope you do too. And remember, we take notes for you. You'll find all the best insights from our discussion with Daniel at theeverydayinnovator.com slash 276. Further, there's a bonus question there that isn't in the discussion, but you really want to go check it out. The question is, how can we apply the concepts for designing conversations to our lives beyond our work relationships? Again, that's at theeverydayinnovator.com slash 276. Now, let's talk with Daniel. Daniel, thanks for joining the Everyday Innovators. Thanks for having me. I am looking forward to this discussion because this discussion about, about conversation which turns out something to be kind of important for all of us, but for our context of the everyday innovators listening, product managers, uh, you know, we tend to have all the responsibility of, of, you know, this heavy weight on our shoulders of having to create new revenue through our products, yeah. but no real authority. And so everyone in product management recognizes this need to be able to influence others. And that comes largely about communications. So uh, you're going to help us with that. I'm just, you know, tell us a little bit about yourself, how you can help us with that communication aspect. I've had a podcast for the past three years where I've been studying what conversations are made out of, which is a weird way of talking about it. But I have a background in design, in industrial design. And so the idea was when I want to make a physical design better, it's kind of easy to be able to say, um, what to change. In in my graduate program, we talked about fast curves and slow curves, and we you start being able to see negative space. That entire semester-long course is about negative space and just like building boxes with planes. And when I transitioned into digital project product design, I remember the first time I actually met somebody who called themselves a product designer and they designed digital products. And I was like, you're not a product designer, I'm a product designer. Like that's absurd. And it took me a while, maybe a couple of years, to realize that 
digital products and services are indeed real products, but the language of how to make them better or to redesign them is just less concrete. Right. And so when we say this isn't working, we need to make it work better. It's really hard to know what to touch and feel and shift. And so my work started going into facilitation more. And so when I met a group that called their facilitation practice conversation design, I was like, you guys, that's a bunch of baloney. That is a weird term. Like you're not designers. How do you design a conversation? What does that even mean? And, but it really put a bug in my brain and it tickled me so much that I started a podcast about it. And what I've come to realize is that we are all designing conversations all the time. Like when I was a junior strategist and I was bringing my clients in and we were having, I was designing workshops for them. I was designing these meetings so that we could talk about what the customers wanted and what we wanted to build together. And if a product uh, failed, it's because we didn't have the right conversations about what to include or what to take out of it. And so I think designing our conversations with intentionality is like we're all doing it by a default habit and we all need to do it better. So when you go back to that question of how do I, how am I effective without authority? There's a, there's actually a quote from Alice Walker where she says the the biggest mistake people make uh, with power is thinking that they don't have any. So you, you may not have official authority, but I think there's always power. And there's power to speak. Like literally no one can shut you up. If you, I mean, like you literally can always say, well, why is that? Or who, who's this for? Or why is this going to matter? And it may seem risky sometimes to speak up, but at the end of the day, we have to be able to be willing to ask difficult questions and to bend the conversation and the direction that we needed to go to. But the short answer is, I actually interviewed somebody about this recently. Stacey uh, Hunky talks about influence. And one of the things she told me was, be quick and brief, be clear, be able to speak without looking at your notes, deliver value consistent, consistently. Like if you are hosting a meeting, make it an effective meeting. Right. If you're using somebody's time, make sure that that time is used effectively. And the other thing she said, which I really loved, which is listen deeply to other people, because unless we connect with people deeply, there's no way for us to respond intelligently. And so when you talk about using your time well, that goes into facilitation, which is one of my favorite things to teach to people. And that goes to like having a very clear arc of the time you're going to spend with somebody. What's your open? What's your explore? What's your close? How are you going to set the stage, hold space for a conversation that matters, and then land the plane in an effective way? And with that, with that image in mind, that arc, I think you can make sure that you start with the end in mind, you explore what you need to explore, and before your time is out, you get to where you needed to get to. And that to me is like, whether or not you have authority, you can still uh, say, well, wait, why, what, what, what are we going to be talking about today? Oh, I noticed there's no agenda. There's no agenda. <laughs> like, can we quickly build one together? Oh, why is that on the agenda? Oh, who's deciding? Like, why does he get to, what does the customer want? Like, this is, you can always ask those questions. And if they fire you, then it's the wrong place to be. <laughs> you ask you should, a lot of questions. You You're should like, be yeah. able to ask questions. You should be able to ask questions. Okay, so lots of great things there. I'm really excited where this is going, in part because I don't know, right? This isn't my space. I'm really eager about this. 
some of those conversations, I think we definitely are contemplating ahead of time, right? We know this is going to be a difficult conversation. We know we have yes. to persuade. We know there's some tension there. There's others that just happen, right? Yes. And I, and I want to get more purposeful about those too. Yes. I'm in general, when I'm just you know bumping into people in the world, I'm generally thinking, how can I leave them feeling better than they are now? That, that's yes. just kind of my intention. But mm-hmm. I don't necessarily, you know, I'm not going through my head even in an arc way. Right? I'm yeah. just kind of just looking for, hey, I can encourage you here and give you insight here. I can maybe yes. give you a caution about something. So I think this is going to help us wherever we go. Um, t- take us into th- this notion of, of designing conversations. Um, if we want to maximize the meaning in these conversations, how do we go about that? You already shared some good tips, right? We, we need to listen more more deeply. And we got this arc that we're going to be, I think, paying attention to. Yeah, that's ideal. Yep. So, so where do we go? Well, so here's the thing. Like, my theory is, is that everyone's already designing their conversations for something. In the same way that, like, every product is designed for something. Right? It's designed with a customer in mind, but also with profit in mind. And there's that tension, usually, between what the customer wants and what the organization wants. And we have to resolve that tension. We're already making all of our decisions based on some set of heuristics. But usually people uh, were not taught how to work. We've, we've just learned by absorbing it from other people in the same way. Like we didn't, we weren't taught how to speak. We just, we learn from our parents. We learn from our teachers and we've all absorbed patterns and ticks from other people and so just really it's the way to design your conversations more intentionally is just take a step back and say, how am I doing it now? And what am I designing it for? And so when you talk about that impromptu interaction with somebody where you just run into somebody, you're thinking you're already designing it for like, well, how do I make sure that they get what they need? Right. I, I have this little quadrant in my mind all the time where I think about um, asking versus telling and uh, problem focus versus solution focus. It's this little four quadrants of conversational leadership, and it's pulled uh, f- together from a couple of different models. Um, I think about when I when I coach people on being better coaches and being intentional about how they show up as leaders. It's about knowing which of those quadrants you want to live in, and I don't think one quadrant is better than the other. When I ask people where they need to improve, some people need to get better at asking people about the problem before you, a lot of people, especially men who are technically proficient, love to go straight to the like, let me tell you the solution, right? I I was thinking of this and going, you know, me being solution focused with my conversations with my wife, usually is not where I need to be. (laughs) Right. Right. I I, I mean, I, I think a lot of men are wired that way that we want to solve the problem. She doesn't want the problem solved. (laughs) Right. But so we've got the wiring, but we can rewire it. Yes. So to me, it's like starting to be able to see what's happening and then making a different choice. So those four quadrants are one way to think about things. In the the book that I wrote, uh, and after the the years on the podcast, I started to look at cybernetic conversation theory, believe it or not. Like there are, there's theories of how conversations are constructed and Google's, uh, uh, conversation design team had a, has, has a really good set of white papers about it. And I interviewed a great professor of cybernetics and there's these models of conversation. And one of the things that a conversation has is um, turn-taking. 
I speak, you speak, I speak, you speak. If I'm just talking the whole time, it's not a conversation anymore. It's a speech. And one of the things that we, um, I think in Western culture, we see doing, but we don't see non-doing. So there's the, there's another, uh, like if you've seen the movie Pulp Fiction, uh, there's that, there's Mia Wallace, Uma Thurman says like, do you just, uh, listen or are you waiting to speak? Right. And a lot of us are not like we're, we're taking our turn to speak. We're not taking our turn to listen. And so enjoying listening versus enjoying talking and solving, like are, it's a really different approach and having a cadence of like, okay, I'm listening. You're listening. I'm talking. You're talking longer and shorter terms, like musicality in your, in the pace of your conversations. Uh-huh. But I'm always thinking about that when I'm working with somebody or even I'm at a bar and I'm thinking to myself, what if I put in one extra moment of silence here? That'll be interesting, right? It'll shift things. Yeah. A cause of emphasis on things or not. Um, I, when we were getting ready for this, I mentioned I was talking to uh, Nancy Duarte, who has the uh, most, uh, most watched TED Talk on communication, right? Wow. And I was talking to her just about preparing for that and, uh, you know, how, how nerve wracking is this when you're the presentation expert having to do a presentation, you know, millions of people are going to see. Um, and she said she had a, a really good coach. Um, you know, she's really good at her craft, but she needed a coach to help her with things. And she said that was all about, you know, how do I say one word a little bit longer yes. you know, than I am now? Do I add a little bit more pause there? Do I speed up here? Um, and a, a lot of that was to just make it more effective to draw people into the conversation more. Well, you yeah. know, just like you said, what uh, is that interesting? If, if I just wait a little bit, right? When we add silence, you know, this goes back to your industrial design days of negative space. If I add silence, yeah, pe- people tend to go, oh, you know, they, they pay more attention and they lean in. Yes. Yeah. So, and if it was just me talking without ever taking my breath and not leaving any space between my words and just talking the same tone the whole time right. and never making, it's like, it just becomes boring and impossible to absorb. Yeah. Well, let me ask you about musicality. Yeah. Yeah. Right. It's that give and take. Let me ask you about the listenings uh, that you're talking about. Um, yeah. What does it really mean to listen actively? Cause you know, for example, for me, I know there's times when I will, put emphasis on the words I'm hearing and I might miss some body language cues. Mm. And there's other times I go the other way and just what does it mean to really listen to take this in? That's so interesting. It's a really great question. Um, see, let, let's see what I did there. That's, that's some active listening. <laughs> well I, you know, to me, active listening, sometimes it's a place of safety for me. Like if somebody comes at me hot, like I have a script where all I do is I just repeat what they've said to me and confirm. Right. So like, that's the very, that's the table stakes of active listening. Like, so it sounds like you're really angry with me and that I've totally ruined the project. Um, and it sounds like you want to fire me. Is that right? Is there anything I've missed? Is there anything more you'd like to add to that? (laughs) And it seems weird to do that, but it does create a moment of safety where I don't have to respond immediately. Mm -hmm. And I see this with tons of people who get interviewed where they're like, well, that's an interesting question, Chad. (laughs) <laughs> like just not going straight into the, the, the response. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It gives you a moment to think about it. And also what I like in those heated situations, right? When someone's coming at you hot, as you said, um, that also reflects like, this is what I just observed. It, it gives them an opportunity to say, Oh, I actually didn't mean it that way. 
right? Yes. Or, um, right. And so um, giving somebody an opportunity to correct what they've said is actually very generous. Mm -hmm. And it gives you a moment before you respond directly in kind. So errors happen in conversations and how we decide to repair them is something that we can do intentionally or unintentionally. Everyone's got like, um, some people are on a trigger, trigger hair and other people don't respond to anything and neither is particularly healthy. And so I think active listening provides that moment of silence where it's like, this is what I heard. Is that right? And they say, yes, they'll say more then you'll get to learn more. Uh, or they'll say, no, you didn't hear me correctly. And you're like, cool, well, then tell me more. And finding a way to do that active listening thing so that it sounds <laughs> it sounds authentic, <laughs> it's really important. Nobody likes having a technique used on them. But if, but if you actually have the interest to be like, I think this is what I heard, is that right? Because you could be wrong. Right. And so active listening is being really intentional about it. And even if you... <laughs> I like to joke, like, you, even if you weren't hearing everything they said, it's amazing. Your brain can still um, print out, like, the last, like, seven to ten words. And so you can actually kind of rescue yourself with active listening sometimes, mm -hmm. too. So that's, that's, like, table stakes of active listening. But I think what you're also talking is about is uh, what some people call global listening, where um, I'm not just listening for facts. Like, so there's like factual listening, like everybody's got their own, like, here's the three levels or here's the five or the 20 levels of listening. Um, nobody has that many. That's way too many for a book. Here's the 20,000 levels of listening, but the, like level zero is like, I'm just listening to my own head, right? That's obviously not great. Level one might be, I'm absorbing just data from you but I'm not getting any of the emotion stuff from you. So that could be, we could think of that as level two, like getting emotional meaning context. Um, and then I could go to the next level, which is like beginning to connect my, what I understand to what you understand, but you got to earn that, right? You've got to go from facts to feelings and from feelings to insights before you get into potential. And there's, like I said, there's tons of models from this, uh, uh, Otto Scharmer from the presencing Institute at MIT has this theory. You, where they go through this, I use a well of reflection where I get people to like, think about what happened. How did it make me feel? What are my biggest insights? And just like chip away at that. And it's just like doing a customer interview too. Oh, so like take me through your day. Like, oh, like what's the most important thing to you? You don't just get straight to the best meeting. You have to earn your way there. Um, and so when I think of active listening, there's all those different ways of being like super intentional about, are you listening for facts? Or are you looking for feelings? Or are you looking for potential? And like you said about the uh, your wife, like if you try to problem solve, you're like, oh, this is a problem. Here's a solution. You're skipping so many steps. You're not going to like, well, why does that matter to you? And uh, tell me more about that. And that sounds hard. And okay, do you want, are you interested in? Th this could be your next very successful book. Um, <laughs> how to do that better, right? Yes. The, uh, the, the classic one when I was younger was, what was it? Uh, men are from Mars, oh, Mars. from Venus, right? Yeah. It's like, yeah, so you can help us with that as well. Um, you did mention in their uh, customer interviews and what you're looking for. And um, I like the thinking about that ahead of time purposefully. Um, what are the elements that I'm paying attention to? Because I know in customer interviews I do, I am trying to look for signals where people are expressing frustration or excitement. 
And it might yes. just be in a sigh. You know, it might be that the rhythm of their speech picks up a little bit. Yeah. But if we don't think about that ahead of time, we're probably not going to pay attention to it. Right. What you notice, what you, what you name, uh, you notice, right? What you, if you're looking for certain things, you will find certain things. It's with, with, with talking to people, it's a challenge because you want to sometimes just go in with an open mind and just see what's there. But as you know, like if you're interviewing multiple people over multiple occasions with multiple interviewers, you want to be able to make sure that people are looking for the same things. Mm -hmm. Good. I, I don't know uh, if you have experience with that. The one approach I like is having two people do the interview where one person is actively interviewing. The other one is kind of taking notes. And I usually ask that the you know, person helping me, I want you to be looking at what's going on as well. And, yes. and if I'm focused on the message, your job is to focus on signals that might be telling us more about that message, or they might actually be telling us something that's not aligned with the message. Yeah. And you need to point that out for us. It's so important. And when I teach teams design thinking, innovation stuff, I get pushed back on that all the time. Oh, that's, yes, I understand it's doubling the headcount, but you're also doubling the amount of good information you're mm -hmm. going to be getting from people. Yeah. And it doesn't have to be a big expense, right? I've hired independent researchers just come sit in on calls like this, right? So yeah. We're doing it over Zoom or something. If you're um, committed to the to the idea that we that things are better when we listen to people better, then it seems like it's worth it. Mm -hmm. Okay. Right. Okay. Uh, I, I know we're hitting a few points. If you want to go deeper anywhere, by all means do. I want to get back to this arc. So an yes. arc of conversation. I'm used to a story arc. And if yes. you're thinking of a story, you know, if there's no tension, if there's no real problem there, the story is really boring. Yes. How does this apply, apply to our conversation arc? Well, so like, let's think about story arcs, right? Yeah. Like Freytag's pyramid is this sort of fundamental uh, uh, rising action and then falling action, um, inciting incident, incident and the denouement. Uh, pretty much every movie worth its salt has that rising and falling action. Um, it doesn't, you know, every Pixar movie, I just did a Toy Story marathon with my fiance and, oh man, like Pixar is so good at the inciting incident. You just start with the exposition, you're in the normal world. And then there's a moment, a spark where there's, everything is turned up upside down. There's energy and excitement and we push ourselves forward to um, getting to a climax. And once we get to that climax, we there's the denouement and we have to land the plane thoughtfully. And then every great story has that, but wait, is the bad guy really dead? Did Jason Bourne just swim away? Like, are we... They're, oh, what's the next one going to be? And if you watch any MCU movies, you know, as, as I do, like, ooh, what's the, what's the epilogue going to be? Like, I want to know what the epilogue is. And so that kind of narrative dynamism is in the best stories. But most meetings are just a list of things, right? Just like literally just a checklist of things to talk about. There's no thread connecting them all. Mm. And I, I, um, I've done a talk at this actually at Douglas's conference uh, last year about narrative arcs in facilitation. And I'm like a huge narrative arc nerd. 
because rising and falling action is only one way to think about that that arc. But that thread that attaches all of those moments, conversations have a thread. Great friends have multi-threaded conversations. We lose the thread. If you see a friend that you haven't seen for years, you pick up the thread right, right where you left off. And meetings have to have a narrative thread. There has to be an arc. And I think planning that arc, you think about just the rising and falling action. Think about an hour-long meeting of exposition. Well, usually the whole, the whole meeting is exposition, right? So let's shorten the exposition so that we have like 10 minutes of like, where are we now? What's going on? What's the current state? And then let's think about that inciting incident. What's the big problem that we have? What's the change that we want to create? What's going to create real success? How can we get really excited about what's going to happen? And then let's spend the last third thinking about how to make sure that it happens now that we're all excited about it. Right? That's a, that's a Freytag's Pyramid meeting. Right? That's and a, it's that's also a good arc. movie. <laughs> it's a great movie. It's a movie you'd actually want to go to. So when people talk about making their meetings optional, right? Like Elon Musk talk, talks about uh, making meetings optional in open space technology. We talk about the law of mobility uh, or the law of two feet that uh, people should be able to go and come as they please. And, and people say, but if I make my meetings optional, no one will come. And I say, it's, and this goes back to the question of how do you lead without authority? Just put on a better show, man. Like if your meetings are exciting and interesting and dynamic and worthwhile and solving interesting problems, then people will want to be there. They will want to be at your meetings. They will want to solve your problems for you. They will want to paint your white picket fence. And so to me, the narrative arc of being clear on these stages you know, four act, three act structure and saying act one, present world, act two, climax, act three, denouement, like just hit your, hit your, hit your notes, hit your marks. The meetings will be, be will be much better. I mean, there's literally dozens of interesting narrative arc structures from the hero's journey to uh, the, the five E's of experiences. I'm meeting like an experience. Um, the double diamond is a great arc to to arrange a meeting. I use a four seasons model. It's very popular with people because it's a it's a softer, more organic, cyclical model. It's just having something that holds your meetings together. The arc is the easiest thing to see because you're like open, explore, close, and then inside of that is like what's the little arc inside of the big arc, and connecting them all together. It's getting people to sketch out their meetings and draw out those arcs I find is infinitely valuable. An agenda, when somebody shows me an agenda and says, Hey, Daniel, you're a facilitation coach. Can you please look at my agenda and tell me if this is good? And I'm like, I don't know, man, that's a list of things. Tell me what you think is going to happen. Tell me where they are. Tell me where they're going. Draw it out for me. And once they can put it in the arc structure, I can be like, Oh, there's a gap. Right. I don't think, I don't think they'll make that. I think the arc will dip there, right? Or that arc's too long. Like they're going to get lost. Uh, so many places to go here. <laughs> so <laughs> this is exciting. So uh, the, the comment about uh, for people that don't know, there are organizations that have 
um, meetings are optional, right? It's like, if you call a meeting, it's up to you to get the people there and convince them why they have to be there. No one is required to come to a meeting. Um, And I do find that to be a foundation for a very powerful culture. Uh, uh, You have to pull it off, right? And like you said, you got to make your meetings good. So we're talking about different aspects of making meeting and co- making meaning and conversations. But since you brought up meetings, I think this offers a lot of value. Yeah. Um, and the only model I'm aware of the ones you mentioned was the hero's journey. I wonder if you could you briefly share with us your was it your son what son seasons oh, model the four seasons, seasons model. model yeah yeah. Um, so I, I interviewed a woman named Kate Quaffert who runs a school for the arts in New York City on my podcast years ago, I'd found this model somewhere on the internet and it turned out we were connected super randomly winter, spring, summer, fall. Mm-hmm. Right. She uses this to plan every lesson at her school and every week at the school, the whole semester. And it's also a great metaphor or analogy for where you are in your life. And Winter is about resting the soil and replenishing and reflecting. Spring is about planting the seed. Summer is about uh, perspiration and tilling and uh, pruning. And autumn is about celebrating the harvest. And when I look at, if you look at the four seasons wheel, and I can send you a link to, I made a a cleaner version of it. Most meetings are are missing out half of that. Hmm. Like literally half. Yeah, but of, most meetings, of, you get a little bit of, we're here to solve a problem. What's your ideas for solving the problem? We, we're not even, <laughs> the, we're, most of the time, we're not framing the problem very well, yeah, that we actually yeah. understand it. We're certainly not reflecting on on what got us here, and we're not celebrating, like, how great is this going to be a- after we, you know, yeah, push through this? Yeah. So the Four Seasons Wheel is, like, just such a different set of questions instead of... Um, there's lots of models, purpose, outcome, process. Uh, I do art, uh, intentions, decisions. I forget all of them. But to me, the four seasons feels true. <laughs> and I, I don't think you can necessarily plan every meeting by following it um, religiously. But I know that and I've taught my facilitation master class at organizations like Google and Visa. And there I go back and they're like, I'm, I'm like, what are you using? They're like, oh, I love the Four Seasons model. And I'm like, that's so cool that somebody at Google is like, yeah, the Four Seasons helps me make my meetings mean more because it's asking me as a facilitator or a designer of a, of a conversation, I'm, it's asking me different questions of myself, right? Instead of like, okay, first thing, second thing, third thing, fourth thing, it's like beginning, middle, end, that's a different place. Open, explore, close. Winter, spring, summer, fall. Like it just it just shakes your brain up and just lands you in a different place. So to me, like I would love a world where uh, everybody was just uh, sketching out their agendas and saying, you know, here's my open, here's my close. This is what I'm hoping we're going to explore together, so that people can go like, I got it, cool, I'm with you. Okay. This is a completely new thought to me about trying to think about my meetings. And thankfully, I don't have to have too many these days. <laughs> Thinking about meetings as a story. What's yes. the story I want to tell and I want to invite everyone into and have us be part of the story during yes. the meeting? Well, and people are going to tell a story after the meeting. Yeah, they will. Yeah. 
right? And so how do you design? It's, I mean, this is like, when you talk about Nancy Duarte, when I teach storytelling to people and how to share your ideas with people, the first thing you ask is, what do you want people to leave with? What do you want people to be able to say easily? If you tell them like a million things, they'll be like, what, what happened in that meeting? Like, oh, I don't know. We, we got through our whole agenda. It was great. <laughs> They're like, well, we, we, we figured out what the customer really wants for this one thing. And it was great. It was great. Yeah. Not that was a waste of time, which is what we often hear after meetings. Right. And if we go back to that first question about how to lead without formal authority, mm -hmm. the more value you provide, the more, uh, I think that, that you get, it's, it's, it's called charismatic power, right? It's, it's, you, you, it's, it's actually technically called referent power. Like mm -hmm. people want to participate in your party, right? Because you're, you're throwing a good party. And I don't think people think of meetings as parties, but if we, if we design them the way we design parties, like, you know, you put the soda and the, and the, and the opener next to each other because that's thoughtful. Right. And I think we, you can, you can apply that to a product design. You know, it's like, why is the up and down volume next to each other? Mm -hmm. Like why are it just makes perfect sense. It's a mental model we've designed, but with meetings, we, we have no mental model. We literally, most of us have no mental model that we're designing them for. And so if we're just slightly intentional, we'll get something better. And now we have a mental model. And I'll put in the show notes a link to your resource on the Four Seasons model. So oh, happily, yeah. listeners can dive into that more. And thinking about them as a story, that, that's really useful. And we could keep talking. This has been great. But you, you know I like innovation quotes. I asked you to consider one for us. Um, yeah. you, you pulled out a few. So I don't know which one you're going to come up with for us now. I know. I know. It's really hard to pick just one. But the one that I'm enjoying right now is this one from Bill O'Brien, who's the former CEO of Hanover Insurance. He says that the quality, sorry, the success of an intervention depends on the inner condition of the intervener. So well, it's like the success that. of, yeah, the, the success of an intervention depends on the inner condition of the intervener. And and this actually goes back to my mother when I was before I was born was a was a chef. Um, she was a macrobiotic chef, and you should put a link to this in your show. I didn't even think about talking about this. She was on the Mike Douglas show. She did a cooking segment with John Lennon, Yoko Ono, and Chuck Berry. It was the first time they all met, and she cooked tajiki egg rolls with them. And she got them up on stage, and it was just a, it was just chaos everyone was milling around and the band was playing it was like one of these daytime talk shows but they had they had music and my mother was like okay we've got to we need to have a calm peaceful atmosphere otherwise the food will taste chaotic and mike douglas was like hey band can you play some like smoother jazz and then they did and you know my mother was a hippie but it's not untrue like it's hard to imagine that somebody who is stressed out can make a delicious meal, right? That somehow that stress won't get betrayed. We don't even know how it would get transferred, but we know that it would. And it, it, in some sense that the quality of the person making the thing, it goes into the thing that we make. And so when I think about the success of an intervention, depending on the inner quality of the intervener, we've all been in meetings where we feel pressure from the other person right like 
the stakes are really high and we've got to win. And if the stakes are so high, it actually kills some of the energy inside of us. It, it's hard to really perform under true crushing pressure. We have to find hope <laughs> somewhere. And we've all had that coach who's like, look, I know things look dark right now, but I know that we've got it in us. And I want you to go out there and do your best. And no matter what happens, we're all winners. And it's silly and it's hokey and it's been in a hundred movies. But that coach pulled something from inside of himself. Does he want us to win? Yes. Does it look really bad for him if we lose? Yes. Did he for a moment find a way to quiet that part of him that was saying, this is terrible? And he found a way to communicate something much more important. He intervened in the team. His intervention, the quality of his intervention, depended on him actually believing what he said. Right, And I think about innovation and org change, uh, coaching, developing teams, all the stuff that like I care the most about and try to do with my clients. And sometimes it's come from me from a perspective of, I'm going to fix these people, <laughs> right? Or I'm going to show them the light or why are they so dumb, right? And that's not, I mean, I think we've all felt these things where it's like, I've got it and they need it and I'm going to give it to them versus like, hey, everyone, like we're all here to learn. And I'm excited to share this thing with you. And that's a different perspective. It's a very different perspective, and it's also a really good perspective to have as a facilitator, as a workshop coordinator, uh, and that ties, ties in well to what you're doing. Yeah, well, I, but I think we all need to look at how, what am I bringing to this? Yes. Right. That's, that to me is why this, that quote is so interesting. So that was really good. And it is how we show up. And I like that you mentioned that, you know, stress limits our ability in the moment as well. And, um, it matters how we show up. So, yeah, so many really good does. points in there. Thank you. More resources available on your website. And also you yes. have a book that's about to come out. Can you tell us how to find out about these things? I can. It's on the internet. So there's a tube that connects ah. all of your computers to other, to other, <laughs> other computers. <laughs> um, my, uh, my website is called theconversationfactory.com. And uh, if you go to theconversationfactory.com slash talk. The book is called Good Talk, How to Design Conversations That Matter, and it should be coming out in March, April, um, but you can download uh, two couple of chapters right now on the website, and then I'll make sure that you know exactly when it's coming out, because <laughs> I will send you an email and thoughtfully, kindly request that you you buy and review it on Amazon, so I would very much love it if everyone did that. I'm thinking about the inner condition of my ask right now. <laughs> I think these ideas are yes. important, obviously. I, I, right. you know, if there's a world in which we're all much more intentional about how we collaborate and communicate and how our organizations have, uh, do the same thing, like, uh, honestly, I do believe it would be a, a better world. But of course, I would say that. Uh, I, I think it would be a better <laughs> world as well. And you're being a good product manager because you're providing something of value to others and you want them to know about it. So yes, great for making exactly. those resources available. Um, and your podcast, uh, because people listening to this might want to go check that out. What's the na name of the podcast? It's also, it's also The Conversation Factory. So that makes it there, easy. There's a, there's a button that says listen, and you can listen to some 
and I'll send you links to the like because Stacy Hunky, who I interviewed, and, and Kate Corford. Like those are some there's some conversations there that I think are all relevant to the what we've talked about today. Wonderful, and I'll put all that in the show notes so it's really easy for everyone to get to. Daniel, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for helping us to figure out how we can have more meaning in our conversations. Be thoughtful about that. Have a story, an arc that go through them. And the added bonus of how can we think about approaching our meetings better and having more effective, actually desirable meetings that people want to be a part of. Yeah. Thank you so much, Chad. I really appreciate the time to talk about this stuff. Thanks again for listening. And I do hope you take a few seconds to register now for the free summit I told you about. Just go to the everydayinnovator.com slash summit. This is going to be a key event for anyone in product management or leading product managers for product VPs to really help you be able to compete better this year and see your career accelerate. Register for free now at the everydayinnovator.com slash summit. Keep innovating. Thank you for listening to the Everyday Innovator which teaches product managers to become product masters. For more resources, please visit TheEverydayInnovator.com. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.